it formed from sort of a despair. <laughs> when you give space to feel it, then you can you give it give it some time. And it's like fermentation, you know. You know, creates good things. <laughs> you know, if you don't rush it. Yeah. Um, and so we decided that what people need is a common ground to recognize. But we stand on the same ground, right? And that ground is human suffering. That ground is sharing a country. That ground is uh, appreciating beauty. This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia, Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We also want to give a special shout-out to some of our podcast listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Cindy Foldendor, Bill Johnson, Ralph Stocks, and that anonymous person that keeps giving a gift in honor of CBF. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee School of Theology Doctorate and Ministry Program, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now... On to our conversation. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the center can be your trusted partner in ministry. I'm sitting here on the edge of the roof with Samir Savanovich. He is the executive director of the Common Good Coalition. Samir, thank you for having me here for this gathering. Yeah, great to be here, Andy. So uh, tell us, how did the Common Good Coalition form? It formed from sort of a despair. <laughs> Usually those kind of, uh, when you give space to feel it, then you can, you give it, give it some time. And it's like fermentation, you know, you know, creates good things, <laughs> you know, if you don't rush it. Yeah. Um, and so we decided that what people need is a, uh, common ground to recognize that they have uh, but not in any way that is like um, 
sort of panacea or Pollyanna or kind of like happy-go-lucky kind of common ground. We are the same. We are not the same, but we stand on the same ground, right? And that ground is human suffering. That ground is sharing a country. That ground is uh, appreciating beauty, uh, surprises that life brings, relationships, connections. Once you start enumerating those, you realize, oh my gosh, what else is left? You know, what else is left is is things that we can deal with. And um, so that's that's what we want to do. That's in terms of like philosophically, mm, you yeah. know, what we want. Yeah. In terms of organizationally, we want to create events, places, occasions where people can convene and meet unexpectedly uh, somebody that they never would meet otherwise and then uh, have this kind of recognition like C.S. Lewis says, you know, who are you? Me too, you know? And then, you know, we, we helped a lot of people start different things and do different things, including Vote Common Good, you know, started because we convened a group of people. So, you know, we're, we're sitting here in lower Manhattan uh, on a patio of a beautiful penthouse suite. Where, where did the vision behind gathering here come from? Well, during the pandemic, you know, the real estate got a little shaken here uh, for a week. <laughs> you know, New York gets shaken last and gets out of it first. But during that time, a friend of mine, Rod Colburn, he was looking for an apartment and he bumped here and they gave him a, you know, great deal to lease. And he got the lease for two years. And then we came here to celebrate and have fun. And then we said, oh, we are on top of a building and we are at the edge here. And how about inviting people here? And then we start one thing led to another. We remembered Rumi's poem that says, sit still, don't move, think. You are sitting at the edge of the roof and you are drunk, <laughs> right? And so we all said, okay, well, let's, let's invite people here. People would love to come to New York. A lot of people have it on their bucket list. And, and then we, we raised money and said, let's make it easy for people. So there is no, people don't need to pay. And, um, and it's just great. And then first time we just met here and then the second time now we are streaming it. Uh, and this is all a warm up for next summer because the lease expires uh, at the end of next summer. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, uh, knowing I was supposed to come to the first gathering. I explained to you had a medical emergency, couldn't come. And knowing Brian McLaren was there, here we have Frank Schaefer, uh, Jackie Lewis is here. So, you know, is, it, is this a gathering of progressives theologically, or is there more diversity here than, than maybe we can see? Um, hmm. I mean, there are the ways to deal with diversity, you know, we have tried to isolate one from another. We try to mock each other. We try to uh, ignore each other, right? Or create spaces where they come and try to introduce and, and, and overcome. All of these things have eaten up a lot of our energy. And I think people who are progressive have are erring on a side of analyzing, understanding, philosophizing, and never organizing and actually warming themselves around their own fire. 
So what we want to do, we warm ourselves around our progressive fire. And if you want to come, come. If you're a conservative, come, come. You know, it's friendly. We're not going to try to, you know, but this is where we are. This is what we do. Um, and I, I think that's necessary because progressives have either been burned down through activism often or, you know, during the election spend all of their time in yoga studios instead of, uh, you know, canvassing, mm -hmm. right? So, so there is need for progressive spirituality, um, um, values to be just simply lived out and enjoyed rather than uh, just communicated. Because we love to communicate, we do that part of it, but we are here to connect and um, as I said, you know, warm up ourselves up around our own fire and that's how the fire will spread. Yeah. You know, one thing I would say in hearing you talk about your story and then knowing my own story, theologically speaking, uh, that journey is kind of painful, you know, not kind of, but it is very painful, you know, but in gathering in this space the last two days and up being three days together, there's no sense of the rigidity of that pain, but there's a sense of life and love that's here, you know, so what do y'all hope people gather, not only in these spaces, but the other spaces you're creating, you know, what kind of coalition do you imagine? I, I think that in the past, a lot of progressives have been, uh, you know, their stance has basically, you can define it as anti-fundamentalist or post-fundamentalist. It is actually taking your hurt and, and spinning with it. It's, it's almost like an addiction, you know, it's a, it's a hurt and sense of being right and convincing yourself and processing on and on and on, you know, and we understand that we all need some of that. But we are not the only people hurt. It's a human experience, right? And and we we want to we have our own identity. We are simply we want to love, we want to serve, we want to reach out, we want to enjoy ourselves, we want to have a happy life, uh, we want to be of service, we believe in justice, and and that's all human values that we, you know, enjoy. And it's it's a letting go of the role of being even hurt, being a revolutionary, being with a cause, or being uh, despondent or depressed. These are all roles that we are in the process of letting go, right? Because that does not, you know, it's part of the, it will never go away. It's part of who we are, right? But it's not the fire in the middle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so much of, so much as what we have defined ourselves as what we are not versus what we actually are. That's what I hear you right. saying. Yeah. So for those that want to get connected with uh, the common good, what's the best way for them to get connected with you all? Well, I would say if you are interested in some, uh, in, in, a, in, in nourishment, um, uh, networking um, and this kind of things I have described um, we have a CG coalition which is commongoodcoalition.com and you can go there and um, stay in touch with us um, if you want to be more engaged politically travel help out you know with campaigns and all of that that's the wing that's 
you know, activated that way. So this is 501c3, that is 501c4, so it can engage politically. We cannot, it's called votecommongood.com, votecommongood.com. So it's either cgcoalition.com or votecommongood.com. And that's with Doug Paget is the executive director, and we work on a lot of things together as well. Well, Samir, thank you for opening the invitation for me to be able to come as a representative for our, our fellowship. Yes, yeah, thanks for being here. I, uh, we, really, we really always invite somebody. I say who, who we should think should be here, and then who maybe shouldn't be here. Let's invite them, <laughs> you know, and then let's invite people we don't know who they are. Like, so you kind of covered those three, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, I'm so glad you, you're here and, uh, you know, um, we now group, we were just listing people and your name came up. I think Brian suggested. And to be so, clear, Brian probably said, let's put him on the list of shouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully not. You know, McLaren, McLaren's been on the podcast a couple of times and he knows how much I idolize him. No, so. no, no, no. Well, no, he actually gave us your name and said invite him. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. And, Mary. you know, there will be more events in the future where it's not just by invitation because the limit is here, uh, you know, safety of the, of the space here. That's the only limitation we have. All right, so uh, we're here on the rooftop. I'm here with Rod and Allie Colburn, and uh, we've been hanging out at y'all's place, but this isn't your normal place. So tell us how we ended up in Lower Manhattan in the beautiful penthouse suite overlooking Broad Street. <laughs> well, we're, we're people that have been extraordinarily blessed by COVID. Uh, we got married uh, last December because of a COVID romance, and uh, Allie, who spent most of her life in Atlanta, uh, agreed to join me in New York City. And I was always a suburbanite commuting in uh, from Connecticut or eventually Colorado. And so it's just a delight for me to actually live in the city that I've loved for so long on uh, pretty much a full-time basis. And because of COVID, uh, what we could afford to rent was uh, dramatically different than normal. Uh, and so we, we accepted the gift the New York landlords gave us and uh, for uh, two years we get to live well above our station. Wow. So you know you've got this amazing place and describe those that are sitting here you know to make them envious of, of where I am right now. We're sitting on this beautiful patio greenery area overlooking you know all these tall skyscrapers. So at what point when you came out here did you think you know it'd be good let's invite some people to come and gather and some, have some conversations a couple times. It was pretty early. Wasn't it March? We moved <laughs> yeah. February. By March, we were sitting out here, a few of us, in a group, and started, Samir was here, and we just started talking about wanting to use this terrace to reach out to the people all over the country, um, and we thought this is the perfect place to be able to host an event. We didn't know what that event would be, but we, that's where it first formed, just sitting around the table out here. You can add more to that. Yeah, I, I think the idea was we, we were frankly a little embarrassed by the niceness of the place because <laughs> it wasn't where we expected to be living at all. Uh, and, you know, having, having uh, sort of embraced the, the uh, Franciscan um, ethic of trying to give ourselves away, you know, living in a fantastic place doesn't uh, give off that vibe. And so we felt 
quickly quite guilty about that and said, well, you know, we've been blessed by this, we've got to share it. And so um, for me, uh, since I was dramatically changed by my affiliation with Vote Common Good and all of the amazing uh, thought leaders that are, have been affiliated with that, um, I said, you know, maybe we should share some of those blessings of listening to great insightful thought uh, to people uh, that haven't had the benefit of it. So let's invite uh, spiritual journeyers, spiritual pilgrims to the rooftop and have them benefit from the people we can bring to share. So what is the Common Good Coalition to you? So the Common Good Coalition actually started out as a, as a think tank support group called Common Good Christians, uh, which, which formed in response to the 2016 election. Uh, and really it was a group of former urban ministry allies uh, who were galvanized by, by the horrors of a um, presidential administration that was heavily supported by people who uh, uh, claimed to follow Jesus, and um, we, we just felt that something had to be done, we didn't know what, to, to try to push back on that narrative. Uh, and so we tried a lot of things, uh, most of them failed. One of them that really worked well was Vote Common Good. So Common Good Christians, which has since become Common Good Coalition, uh, obviously to be, be all-inclusive, um, basically is, is looking for new ideas, new, new projects uh, to, to advance the cause of, of Jesus followership and love as a religion, really. And um, the Edge of the Rooftop Retreats is just another one of those. So since we uh, greatly benefited by uh, you know, this apartment we were able to rent, it was easy to say, all right, this is a project. And until the lease expires, you know, let's make it happen. Yeah. So both of y'all grew up on the mission field. You know, right up talking with you, I know you grew up Seventh-day Adventist, so you haven't always been in this theological camp. So tell me about your journey to kind of be among progressive, theologically speaking thinkers. Well, that's the, the neat thing about our relationship is that, uh, well, we both grew up Adventists and, and really enjoyed our, our formative years. Uh, Allie left the church decades ago um, and my journey has just uh, sort of advanced um, in, in recent years. Uh, very simply, um, I, before Trump, I was a moderate Republican, uh, somewhat progressive um, Adventist Christian, uh, and when both of those tribes uh, came out strongly in supporting a man that I knew was, was paramount evil, uh, because of my association with uh, him in New York City in the banking industry, uh, I knew that both of those tribes uh, seemed to be morally bankrupt and, and I needed to disassociate myself from them. So, you know, obviously you've opened up this beautiful home, uh, you've gathered great thinkers together, and then people who are just trying to figure out how they get invited to this, I'd fall into that camp probably. Um, you know, how do y'all hope people will get connected to, to the good work y'all are doing? Well, clearly, we, we think there is a growing but 
um, underserved and underappreciated minority of people that are saying that our religion has led us away from our true principles. Um, so, and many were asked to leave their positions within their churches. Some right. didn't choose to. Some were just because they were standing up for what they felt was right. So it kind of, when we first started planning this, it was more to open up to people who felt alone being, whether they chose or pushed out of their, what they considered their family, their livelihood. A lot of people lost their careers. And so we wanted to start this, it started out talking to support these people, bring people that didn't know each other here to get to know each other so they knew they weren't alone in that. Right, so, so it started out as very much a local sort of one-to-one, one-to-a-few concept, uh, but uh, we've realized that um, obviously there's, there's great attraction uh, for these kinds of speakers and these kinds of thoughts, and so that's why we're trying to make it more of an of a, uh, accessible live stream event as well. But yeah, I think the first target were, were um, ex-pastors, uh, and other people that, that uh, sort of have journeyed out of their communities and are seeking new ones. Last and probably most important question, uh, do y'all need a, a, a cleaning person? I'd be happy to stay here for the next uh, how, however long is left on the lease and you know, pick up a small amount of space. And, and, and you are welcome to. <laughs> we have had a revolving door literally over, I mean, since we moved in, in February 1st, we've had a revolving door, whether it's family, friends, um, yeah, that's part of it too. Right, and we just need to figure out how to bring enough heat uh, to the rooftop here to, to keep doing events in the wintertime. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I'm an outdoorsman. I, I, I can build a fire out of anything. <laughs> uh, no, in all, all sincerity, uh, thank you all for your hospitality. It's extraordinary to have the vision to you know not only find a place like this but then to say let me open this place up to a bunch of people i don't know to have a conversation to find refuge in community it's it's a beautiful act of compassion and hospitality so thank you all so much thank you thank it's you easy to do. thank you for joining us and for amplifying what we're trying to do we need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, who invites you to support its mission of equipping thoughtful and practical leaders for service in the church and the world. Thanks to the generosity of a committed donor, all gifts to BSK through December 31st will be matched dollar for dollar up to $20,000. Your gifts will support students from 10 states who are preparing for Christian ministry at BSK. Give today at bsk.edu backslash give. BSK wishes you a blessed Advent and Christmas season. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support.
Alright, so I'm gathered here uh, in beautiful lower Manhattan, sitting on a rooftop with Tim Gilman, who's the creative director of Common Good Coalition. Thanks for having me here. Thanks, great to meet you. Alright, so I, I talked to Samir a little bit earlier about uh, his story about how this formed, but what about you? You're, you're part of the creative genius behind this. Uh, well, I it all came out of my relationship with Samir. Uh, I have the honor or privilege of coming my faith has survived a, a very strong conservative Pentecostal tradition. And uh, one of the key players that helped me in that journey was finding Samir. Uh, I, I heard a sermon that he gave uh, online, uh, it's been almost 20 years ago now, uh, about finding God in the other. He actually wrote a book about finding God in the other. And uh, one of the major ways that I've been able to navigate my tradition was to get out of, outside of it and see other people, see other traditions. First step was other, even other Christian traditions. Um, so he was, I became friends with him online, and then he he was doing a wedding out in Oregon, and, and so I said, well, let's get together, you know. And so we did, and we became fast friends. And he was in the process of moving back to New York to start a project here called Faith House Manhattan. And so I, I did his creative stuff for him. I did the business cards and all the promotional stuff. And, and we just kind of stayed together all the, over the years. He led me to some other, uh, some other opportunities, a group called Envision that were met at Princeton a few years, other, lots of other people. So he was kind of my doorway into a lot of these, these opportunities. And then, uh, so we've stayed in contact and visited him. My wife and I would visit him, my kids and I would visit him when they came. And, when we came to New York. And then 2016-17, uh, he was kind of pulling together some folks, uh, did a podcast with Brian McLaren, and and out of that kind of came this desire that, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to uh, respond, not not specifically to Mr. Trump, but, but really respond to the the situation on the ground that gave us President Trump, because we all really feel that Trump is merely a symptom, not really the problem. You could you can, you can remove him from office, uh, replace someone else, but if you don't ad address the underlying ideas and assumptions that led to electing someone of this value, stature, personage in the first place, it's just going to get worse. So. We were trying to figure out, okay, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in this crazy world that we're in? So that led us to uh, Rod Coburn, who you probably talked to too. Uh, Rod uh, lives in Colorado, 50-50 between Colorado and here. And so we had an event, the first gathering was in Colorado in 17. And uh, we met in a little town called Orway just uh, invited you know a few of our friends I mean I think Frank was there people that we knew and just got together and just said okay what you know what should we do how, how do we how do we respond to this I yeah we, we decided we wanted to create a group called common good Christians um, I did some graphics and some stuff for it and um, and that was kind of the start and out out of that meeting came this desire to do something on the bus um, because it was clear that, you know, at least at that point, we wanted to engage in the political process. Um, so right from there, 
actually it was Frank, he, he, he said, well, the, the last day we all met together before breakfast or breakfast meeting, and Frank said, well, you need, if you really want to do this, you need to go talk to my friend Howie in, in L.A. This is a guy in L.A. He's an old, old, retired guy. He's a record producer kind of guy and uh, old hippie sort of. But he's just a total political junkie, and he knows he he knows he knows the lay of the land in terms of politicals. And so, what we were looking for were flippable districts. So that also put us in touch with Ted Lieu, who was a congressman uh, at that point. I think he was the head of the the DN, DNCC, which is the the part of the Democratic Party that owns that handles finances, I believe. So we met with him. At, we flew from right from there to, to Beverly Hills, had dinner with Howie and Ted, and kind of Vote Common Good was kind of born. But the reason we did it as a separate organization is because with a with a with the Fire with One C three, you can't really engage directly in political issues. Uh, that's still kind of a dicey thing, and it's never really been enforced. But we we didn't want to do that. Uh, we can we can do education. We can we can train people. We can encourage people to vote, but we can't say, you know, take this position on you know on this policy or you know vote on this for this candidate. So that led us to establish Vote Common Good as a 501c4, which a four you can. So um, so that's what we did. So coming right out of the shoots, you know, all the energy and the appeal was in the election stuff. So. Vote Common Good took off, you know, like gangbusters. We, in 18, we, we, we determined what the 31 football districts were. 18, we did a bus tour, rented a bus, did a bus tour. We started in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, came all the way uh, to Fresno uh, in about a month and a half. And, uh, and that, was, that was very meaningful. We learned a lot about it, and, and we really, uh, I think I think of those 31 districts. I think 16 of them were flipped. Of course, that's not all our doing, but we certainly contributed something to it. So, so that 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 kept it from being a total Republican show. And then we kind of uh, thought, okay, what do we do in the middle time? So we, you know, did some strategy and planning, and so we're gearing up for 2020. And so with 2020, we were then going to go. Um, all year long, we were going to go all 50 states. Wasn't sure what we were going to do with our Alaska and Hawaii, although a lot of people volunteered for Hawaii. Yeah, I'd, I'd gladly yeah. go with you yeah. Alaska. Uh, yeah, that's, help, it, yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so we're, we're, we're sure what we're going to do. So we, so we started out uh, January 2nd. We all met at the White House, front of the White House, took off from the front of the White House, and we we went out till May, March, till COVID really went over the hill. We were down in Florida, and we decided to we, we were going to go off the road. So I think March 13th, 14th, somewhere there, I flew back home, and we put everything on hold. And basically, that that was a time that really forced us. We'd always wanted to do a lot of online stuff, but that really forced us online. So we started podcasts and did a lot of regular stuff. Doug, is, Doug our pageant, who is our the executive director of Vote Common Good, very comfortable with doing podcasts and stuff so he did a lot of that stuff and so then we worked and waited it out and then we went back on the road in August 
and then we were out the rest of the time through uh, through the election. We ended up in, in Washington, D.C., same place we left on election night. So again, it was more just the idea of, of going out and encouraging people. We, we developed what's called Love and Politics Pledge. And so what we encourage people to do, it's, it's based on Corinthians 13. So what we encourage people to do is, is that before you vote, night before you vote, read the Sermon on the Mount and, 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 and read Corinthians 13. And then use those as your benchmarks to go out and vote. You know, it, it, what was interesting about this, Andy, was that everyone would want us to tell them how to vote because that's what they're used to. I right, mean, if, yeah. if we would have done a common good voters guide, yeah, a, a ballot cheat, we could have sold them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we re, we really resisted. We refused doing that yeah. because the, another really Achilles heel sometimes of conservative Christians, especially is that they're used to being preached to or they're used to being told what to do. And, and, and so what happens is they make a choice based on the consequences that they're told are gonna to happen. If you don't do this, this, and this, you're gonna burn in hell, okay? So, so what we want people to do is to, is to find out for themselves what common good is. Because what the scripture tells us or what Jesus told us is that if it's good for the other, if it's good for that person, it'll be good for you. And so that's a harder process because most of these people don't want to do that kind of work. They just want certitude and they want to latch onto something and keep it. But uh, that's kind of where we're coming from. So when they, when they do do that work and that light goes off and the Holy Spirit quickens their hearts, then it's theirs. See, and then they, then they own it. It's not what some preacher told me. It's not what some politician, it's not what vote common good told me to vote this is what i believe yeah i think and, there's power and strength in yeah. that i mean you're yeah. you know you're you're taking on from a faith-based perspective and and you're doing it the complete opposite way of what you're experiencing in yeah. other things yeah. you're you're having people examine their consciousness examine their spiritual journey and and make make conscious decisions from that, and that yeah. i think that's that's beautiful that's empowering that's enlightening versus as you said before you know, vote this way out of a one-issue perspective. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I'm fascinated with right now is how the church can become a, a a large space for people to gather with theological diversity. You know, one of the things I worry about is that we're, we, we become too entrenched on the right or too entrenched on the left and forcing people to figure you know, pick this false premise of you've got to be on one side, side or the other. You know, and part of that is, so my doctoral studies right now, I'm looking at the concept of liminal spaces, liminal thinking. So understanding the threshold or space between us as individuals and the space between where we are and how that can lead to thriving. So I wonder for you, as you know, as y'all are cultivating these conversations, as you're pulling together these different voices, you know, even in just this gathering here, it was pretty diverse theologically speaking. So you know, how do we do that in healthy ways? How do we create places where we might not see eye to eye on every single thing, but we can still gather and have healthy sure, conversations? Sure, sure. Um, I, one of the things, I, I went to a real, real conservative uh, Bible school in Dallas, Texas. Um, and one of, the, one of the things, probably the greatest thing I came away from there with, besides my wife, was this concept that one of the, one of the professors kept beating into our heads about 
unity with diversity unity within diversity unity with diversity and I think it's, it's essential to do that because if you look at the Bible depending on how you read it and how you understand it and what you choose to believe there's a lot of ambiguity there's a lot of paradox there's lots of room for everyone to come away with their own understanding of what's said so this idea that there's one theological point of view that represents God is really a fallacy. I mean, it, it just doesn't exist. And all theology is really is man trying to understand something in our terms that is not really probably comprehensible, ultimately. There's no way any, any one of us or any one denomination is going to have a total 100% this is what God is or who God is so I think it, it's essential I would say that the only way you can do it is to be a secure safe person yourself this is why largely the premise that Jackie was talking about Jackie Lewis is essential because I again I've always heard or, or at least the, the way the scripture is written is love the Lord thy God Love the neighbor as yourself, and, and your neighbor, and then as yourself. So in your mind, you think that's okay. The first thing I got to do is get saved, accept Jesus, whatever the language is, and then, then, then because I did that, then I have to. I, I, I love God, but then I, I that because I because I because God wants me to love you, then I gotta love you, and then I have to love my that will love myself. I would argue that it's upside down. It's really the other way around. So, to me, the epiphany, the, the, the thing that, then this may well be what salvation really is. Because we treat salvation as a episodic, say these things, join this group, you know, go through this exercise, and now you are saved. So now, if you get hit in the car on the way home, you get to go to heaven. Okay. So it's it's a, in reality, the walk of faith is evolutionary, and so I I think that once they once people understand that they are loved by God, I think that is probably what salvation really is. That that that, that there's nothing that we can do to cause God to kick us off the island. We in America we have a whole swath of absolutely insecure Christians. They're not even s secure in their own position with God. They're not even sure God loves them unless they do this, 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 and this. Believe this, this, and this. Vote this, this, and this. So if, if you hold in your mind a view of a God who's sitting behind you like Santa Claus making a list, checking it twice, just looking for a reason to kick Andy off the island then if that's the way you conceive God to be, then that's the way you're going to treat other people. So then you say to your friends, okay, well, God's watching you, God's this, you know, you treat them the same way. God isn't looking to kick anybody off the island. God wants to, it, actually, in fact, we're all on the island. Whether we, whether we realize it or not, we're on the island. We, we are the center of God's heart. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that, I think that's what comes down to the crux of it. We've been, those that grew up evangelical in many different forms have been 
taught a faith of certainty. Mm-hmm. And you're inviting people into a sense of uncertainty, but yeah. really it's a sense of faith in a God of unconditional love. So, you know, listening to you talk about uh, the gospel message in a sense in this way is so life-giving, uh, it's so freeing, but why is that not the prevailing message of the gospel accepted by most American evangelicals? You know, the, the, the gospel that seems to be most prevailing is the one uh, a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God uh-huh. of control, a, a God of certainty. Uh-huh. So what do you think it takes to pivot within the minds of existing followers of Jesus in America and, and certainly hopefully new followers of Jesus uh-huh. in America to, to see the gospel in the light that you're talking uh-huh. about? Well, I would say the, the one uh, pivotal thing would be to get out of Dodge, get out of where you're at. Uh, not necessarily abandoning it. I mean, I I was fortunate when I was young to to get exposed to lots of different people groups. Uh, I got to go to China. I got to see meet Christians in China and see what they were like. I got you know lots of experiences. So very early on, I understood that there were people of faith following the same Jesus I was following, who didn't do the same things that I did. Um, and that's the first thing, and, and because the more you get to know people personally, it's it's it, it's more difficult to demonize them, uh, or dehumanize them, or to see them as evil. Yeah, yeah, they may not be just like you, but but at least that's 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 Bill. I know I know Bill. Bill Bill's an atheist. Bill doesn't believe this. Bill, but it's Bill, you know, rather than just the or. I mean, homosexuality would be a great, great example. You know, it's like all those gay people. Well, you know, once you get to know some people, you, you can't throw them all under the bus. I mean, you may not agree with what they do. There may still be tension there. But, um, and, and also being willing to hold the tension. Tension is okay. You know, you don't have to all agree. You don't have to believe alike. Uh, I, think, I think one of the great disadvantages in America is that, is that we have been seduced by power, political power, this quid pro quo between government and, and, and Christianity. I would never call us a Christian nation, but I would say that our, our, our nation is founded on Christian assumptions. Um, and and that, that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's a dicey spot and, and all up to this point, you know, Christians have been safe because we've been in the majority. If the, if the issues get too dicey, we can say, we can invoke the separation of church and state. So, you know, if the, if the, if the if state does something that's just go to war or whatever, it's totally against, maybe it's against us, but we can say, well, that's them. So, so then that feeds to this, this idea that the government is the bad guy and that we're the good guys when the reality is the government is just a reflection of we the people you know because we, we if we don't we we created it yeah okay. so uh how does how does common good coalition fit into uh shifting perspectives and movement within america's christian culture there's lots of people who are uncomfortable with the way things are lots of christians who are uncomfortable with the way things are a growing number are having the courage to say something about it. 
what we've found as we've been on the road and stuff is that there's a growing number of people who are looking for an exit ramp. But but that means it, it's like it's like on the trapeze. You know the trapeze artists that go like this. You know you go. You know there's a time when you're not holding on to anything. Hopefully it's not very long, but there's a few seconds there when you've you've had to let go of this one, or you can't get to this one. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people are at. So what what I would hope is that we can we can provide a community, provide a, 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 a resource support to help them in that process uh, so they don't feel alone and have the courage to, to make those choices and make those stands. Our guests have been Samir Samanovic, Tim Gilman, and Ali and Rod Colburn. If you want to learn more about the Common Good Coalition, check out their website, cgcoalition.org. You can also learn more about the Vote Common Good at votecommongood.com. This podcast is presented to you by McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University, who exists to train ministers who inspire the church and the world to imagine, discover, and create God's future. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, the McAfee School of Theology offers doctoral and master's degree programs, including a fully online Master of Divinity degree, the only fully online MDiv offered by a national research university. You can visit their webpage, theology.mercer.edu to learn more about their programs and scholarships. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF's podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, the Center for Congregational Health, and McAvee School of Theology's Doctorate of Ministry program. Check out cbf.net for more information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. Oh, and I don't think we've mentioned this, that you should join the listener community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.